0: Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Haunted Houses. Hold
1: on a sec. I heard a noise behind that door. Where'd my voiceover guy go? Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Uh, today's show is brought to you by and H Attorneys at Law. Need a do-over? We won't let your mistakes get in the way of the ending you want. Don't get angry. Get a lawyer from GLKNH. <laughs> Do you actually know what that is? No, but it's so great. What is that? Uh, oh, I almost spoiled that one. Um, okay, good. Lest I be judged. Uh, welcome everybody to the vessel. I am Wes, and I am Todd, and we're filmmakers from all sides of the camera—from uh, behind, camera operating, producing. Uh, DP directing, writing, uh, as well as in front as actors um, and stuntmen. We do no, we are <laughs> the one <laughs> no, that we, no. we we are definitely not qualified to do. Uh, though we got friends in that trade, and it's always fun. Our, our buddy Aaron's been doing a lot of stunt work. It looks like he's on the set of Halo, working on the new season of Halo, which is he's. I saw him holding one of those massive swords, which is really cool. But that's. That's crazy because he's filming in I want to say Bulgaria. I already forgot where it is. Oh, Hungary. Um, uh, maybe like near Budapest or something. But and it's just amazing where you got to go sometimes uh, to film something. Because to me, the thing that I've I've realized from the you know early on as a filmmaker is location is everything. Finding the right location is just foundational to having a good shoot. The, the better your location, the less work you have to do to make it look right for your project. And so I spend tons of time whenever I'm working on a, a new project uh, to find the right, right place to shoot it. Like uh, before you left Austin, you know, I ran around the inner two to three hours uh, around Austin. Um, circumference, just looking for the right location to shoot, you know, this little 60 second product video, uh, because it needed to feel adventurous and we're out in the wilderness and you just can't say, oh, there's trees in a bush, like good enough, right? It needs to feel like somewhere that you would go for an adventure, just short of mission impossible, right? You want it to feel like immediately at a glance, you understand your location and why you're there. Uh, and so, Finding the right place is always just really, really important. And to me, the single most important uh, part of pre-production, finding, you know, as, as important as finding the right cast and getting the right script, it's finding the right location and will just save you just a pound of cure uh, through that ounce of prevention, um, which is kind of where we're at with, you know, our film, uh, the feature we've been working on for the past year and a half. Uh, it's just hard finding the right location. I thought I originally had the right location uh, before I started writing the script. And I just kind of bumbled it. I, I didn't realize exactly what I was dealing with. And so I wrote certain elements into the script that I, I just can't you know quite figure out. And so we've kind of opened up the search. Uh, and I met with my producer on Wednesday. And you know we went through a bunch of stuff, questions he had about the script, how we're going to shoot X, Y, and Z. The, the heart of it though is just finding the right house because it's a uh, the story is a gothic horror and gothic horrors the the house the location is critical um, it's it's a character in the film and in that genre and so I told him as I was like, look you know whenever I originally started, I thought the budget we had was going to be enough because of you know the connections that we had and everything that we could accomplish on that set. Uh, was just there and we could spend the tiny budget that we have in all these other places uh, in order to make it come alive. Cause it's set in the early eighties and a period piece is never easy, but if you pick the right period and the right location uh, it becomes a lot easier. But if you don't have the right location, suddenly that tiny, you know, budget needs to be a million dollar budget and it just suddenly balloons trying to get everything right because it's costume, wardrobe, props, the right hair and makeup, set deck is just massively expensive and important, uh, in selling a period piece. And so it's easy to spend your money there if you don't have to spend it on a location. (laughs) But if you do, uh, then suddenly you're out of budget, like immediately. Uh, and so I told him, I was like, look, man, uh, here's where we're at. I, I want you to take an honest look at the, at the budget and what we're really looking at. And if you don't think we can do it, we have a certain quality level. We, we both want to hit um, and if you don't think we can do it, then that's fine. You're gonna have to tell me and we'll 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 pivot. Like I'm okay. I have other story ideas, uh, maybe not as sellable as that idea, uh, but certainly ones that we can accomplish and just get on the map, uh, which is really the goal, right, with this first one is let's just get on the board. Right now we're not players on the board at all. Uh let's just get on the board and then you know, we have this script in our back pocket that suddenly it's like, hey, we made X, you know, this film for X dollars, we have another script, bigger, uh, more interesting, more sellable, uh, give us a million. We'll go make this thing and we'll do it incredibly well. Uh, now that's kind of where we're at the location being just this crux of a, of a thing, man. Um, what's your experience, man? What's what you're feeling on, uh, getting the right locations. I know it's different for you because you and your work, you, you're handed a location and it's like, Hey, Mm -hmm make it look good. Um, yeah. What's your, what's your take on that?
0: I mean, I, I, I'm on right on par with you. That location is everything. And I, I don't make the stuff that I make. Isn't the same, you know, like you said of what you make, you know, you make more creative stuff. You know, I, I have done several commercials and in which case basically whatever I have, I have to turn it into what I need. Right. And so, and it's, it's really hard. Like it's not, you know, you have to change your angles that you shoot at. You have to change the lenses that you use, you know, like, okay, well, we can't see this over here. So we have to be, <laughs> we have to, we have to shoot a, shoot pretty tight on something. Or Bring whatever.
1: out the 200 millimeter lens. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. But he's seven feet away. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to see the boogers in his nose. So we, we have to make concessions with stuff and a lot of it is also set design, you know, help helping us to fix that scenario. So I have a, uh, one person that I use a lot or that I have used a lot. Her name is Caroline and she is an incredible set designer. Um, and she knows what the edit, she knows how to make it, make the set for the edit. Right. So she'll, you know, she sources things that we need to be on camera. And then she'll also do things like, okay, well, where's the frame going to be? All right. Well, this, you know, we need to put something up that makes this darker over here or something. And she, she will, she will paint the frame for however we can best, you know, tackle what we need. Right. And sometimes she can't do it all. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes she can't. She, it's just it is what it is. And she's like, oh, but she, she's so positive And she comes with ideas and she says, OK, you want to do that? Well, here's some options. And she'll like give me options, which is great. You know, they're, they're never options that are perfect but there are options that it's just a choice. It's like, okay, well I could do this or I could do that. Well, which is, which is the least worst, you know, that's, that's my world. (laughs) What's the least worst. Um, uh, but sometimes we've been able to, to, you know, source locations and like go to locations and stuff. And it is so much better to have it built in. It Mm. is, it just is more real. It's more authentic. The actors are more, the acting is more authentic. Like because they're in the space, they're in the, the area, they're not having to, you know, like uh, y- you have Avengers stuff where they're acting in front of a blue screen and that's difficult, but these are top level actors that yeah. are like really good at pretending that they're in outer space, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, for the, the, the level of actors that we're used to working with, it's a much harder to pull that out of them, right? So yeah, no, I totally agree. The location is everything, especially with this project that you're working on. It is literally the script. It is everything for you. So I'm glad that you're that you're um, holding fast to that. And if that means making a pivot you know, somewhere else, then then that's what you do. But I totally subscribe to the just get on the board, you know, and so that it's it's not a goose egg. You've got something to bounce off of to to keep you moving forward to the next thing and then keep you moving forward to the next thing so um how so that conversation you said it was you told me beforehand it was a pretty long conversation what else did you guys discuss? yeah
1: i mean we were there for a good i don't know at least four hours five hours and so we you know just catching up on stuff we're working on um other projects that we have in the in the works. And then I was like, Hey, let's grab a beer and some lunch and we'll finish up the, the actual production conversation. And yeah, we just sat and, uh, he had a ton of questions just about props and, you know, things that he need, uh, he needs, he was asking about some of the truck sequences. We shoot, uh, a handful of scenes in a truck, uh, with three people, right. Two adults, two adult men, um, and a little girl. And he's like, How are you envisioning this? And I'm like, look, I'm pretty open. Here's some of the stuff I'm seeing. It doesn't have to be this way. And he's like, okay, you know, I think we'll need a flatbed in order to shoot this. Uh, And I was like, okay, I think that's great. Certain things aren't going to work because there's a night scene. I really want to see headlights, you know, flashing across them. And so that's going to dictate X, Y, and Z. And so he just had a lot of these little technical questions, very little story-related. I, because it's my habit, I got into story-related stuff at, you know, certain points, I was like, yeah, you know, there's things I'm still debating. There's some flashback sequences that I'm like, I'm on the fence. Like I might cut these entirely, um, but I don't want to. I think it fleshes out this character so much. And it's really maybe not necessarily mission critical, but it really, really helps uh, the story. But I was like, at the same time, you know, there's just certain elements of uh, this backstory that I'm worried about. Because it takes me into certain aspects of religion that I'm trying to avoid, and so it was just an interesting, like, sounding board kind of moment. He was like, "Well, yeah, here's what I think, you know. Don't be afraid to go against or you know lean into the things you're afraid of." And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, that's fair, Uh, because part of it is just my history. Go listen to our episode on uh, Sunset Limited to hear more of my background on, on with religion, but I just." There's only so much headspace I want to stay in with religion, and so even though some of the stories I want to tell overlap and borrow, you know, from my my past, I I have a certain line that I try not to cross into. And so it's more of me stuff than this story stuff. But yeah, it was it was really helpful, I think, for him, um, and just for also me getting a a sense of where he's at and his process Um, because right now it's mostly in his hands as we're scouting. We've been working with the Texas film commission. They've been amazing. Um, It's effectively a, a free resource and they do a great job of just saying, Hey, what are you looking for? Here's all the people we work with. Here's like 10 locations in the circumference that you're looking for. And here's a bunch of pictures. Here's contact information with the owners. Like they do an incredible job of being just a, a resource for, you know, anyone, anyone from link letter to me. <laughs> right? Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, but even with that, you know, we, we still have a tiny budget. And so some of these locations, you're like, there's no point in even talking to these people. They clearly are going to be charging, you know, 10 grand a day. Uh, and, we'll be out of budget in less than a week. (laughs) Like, uh, Yeah. So it was useful having someone that sits down and goes through line by line to try to break out everything that your film is going to need. That's, that's a line producer. That's someone who is skilled at looking at a single sentence and breaking it down and saying, okay, this is a scene in a bedroom, right? Uh, what all are we going to need in, for the bedroom? Because it takes place in this character's house. What kind of character is this? Is this a, a poor character or a rich character? Two wildly different sets. And you know what kind of books do they have? Do they have books? Uh, and they have to think about all of these things that they could hand to your prop master um, and your set designer in order for them to start building on top of. But before they can do that, they have to guess how much is that going to cost? And that's what your line producer is there to do is uh, to give you a really good idea of not just what you'll need from a practical, like what's in the scene, but the kinds of people that it will take to accomplish that in the first place. And so, you know, if you're doing uh, an Egyptian film, then suddenly, you know, with horses, then you're thinking about, okay, well, we're doing the scene with on horseback. So you need x amount of horses and you need a, a horse wrangler or whatever they're called and then you'll need stuntmen right to help you on those horses and it just suddenly starts ballooning very quickly and a stunt or a, a line producer is really skilled at being able to do that and so for me that's been ricky and he went line by line through my script every single line saying we're going to need this this, and this and the things that he wasn't sure about he was asking about he's like how married to this are you uh, how important is this and like we have trucks he's like you wrote in the script x like a whatever 59 chevy is it important that it is a 59 chevy Um, because he takes everything written on the page as a very serious affair it's not just west is just writing stuff to write it it's Wes wrote 59 chevy for a reason maybe i should ask him Uh, and my reason was important story-wise but doesn't need to be a 59 chevy it could be a 55, whatever. The important part for me was communicating. This was uh, an older truck, maybe a hand-me-down because my backstory for this character was he was given this truck as, you know, part of his family uh, inheritance. And that's where that comes from. But practically speaking for, from a producer's point of view, it doesn't matter. I just need an old truck, right? Uh, That's era appropriate. Um, This character would have an older truck. This character would have a newer truck. So it takes place in 83 this character should have something between 79 and 82. This character should have something between 1950 and 1965, right? And so it's just giving him the parameters to work within uh, that's important. And and I just really have a lot of respect for people who do that because they are thinking in 3D chess um, and, and it's really cool to see in action.
0: That's awesome. That's a, That sounds like a great meeting.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very productive. Very cool. Yeah. Great. But only one beer, so I don't know how good of a meeting you can call that. One beer. Five <laughs> <Yeah>. hours? Jeez. <laughs> you guys are lightweight. Killing me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Amazing. All right. Well, what's the next step? So he's you're still location. Still. Yeah. Like he the, he
1: did a good job from there. He was like, okay, we're we're not getting much better from the TFC. And so he said, Let's see if I can just go through Airbnbs and mm-hmm. have some conversations. So he sent me a, a bunch of Airbnbs, one of which I was like, this actually, you know, works fairly well. We'll, we'll need to scout it. But that's a weird conversation because it goes from, Hey, we want to rent, you know, for a weekend on the farm to, Hey, we might want to rent this for two weeks, but before we do that, can we come poke around? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I, I, scouted around a lot of these locations that are used to dealing with film productions. And you get a range of people, some people who are still new and are excited by us. Like, Hey, I'd love it, you know, to help in any way I can. Uh, this, this seems like fun. We're bored out here and we just are happy to be here. Uh, and then I ran into one person that had done like 50 of them. And, uh, it went from, I was supposed to go look inside the house and I get, I suddenly arrived and they're like, yeah, I don't know if I want people inside. I'm like, uh, why am I here? I just drove an hour and a half to come see you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and suddenly, you know, and so that's, you know, kind of frustrating, but you also try to understand their point of view of, they've done this a thousand times and they've had a thousand crews run rampant through their house and doesn't matter how, you know, careful you, you try to be, stuff just happens, right? You might scuff the wall and she had just... Repainted all the walls and had been redecorating everything and just, you know, very wary of having people in. And I was like, don't worry. You know, we're a very, very small budget. There won't be that many people. But she wasn't really present. Uh She was just not fully paying attention to what I was saying. And uh, mm-hmm. so it was an, it's interesting running into those kinds of people. Uh, but ultimately, very nice person. Um, still very adamant about helping out. Uh, if we can and or if she can. And so it I've never yet run into a someone who was just, oh, I'm never gonna deal with this person, right? Everyone is really cool. I think everyone in the film industry largely is, you know, just interesting, fascinating people. That's always been the interesting part for me. And now this will be my last comment and we can move on, I guess. But you if you've been on some of these nicer budget film sets, it's Filled with dynamic, interesting personalities. Uh, and they, everyone there is there because they love film. Uh, they love the art. And it's funny to be talking to whatever, a teamster or, you know, someone, uh, a grip, right, who is just chiseled out of muscle and they, they talk and dress like, you know, they're fresh off the farm. And yet they're gonna sit there and bend your ear about, you know, Kurosawa. <laughs> like they'll, mm-hmm. they'll start talking at a very high level uh about the art of film. Uh and it's just really cool to be around those kinds of people that are completely unpretentious and yet, you know, very sophisticated uh in their in their work. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, I I think you've you've been on more high budget stuff it, than I have, like film wise, mm-hmm. especially. Um, but I have done some high budget commercials mm-hmm. and like been flown around for them. And it's like, I totally agree. I feel like the, the lower budget stuff, you have all the, you have a lot of pompous people, um, sometimes so that like, you know, they're either, they don't like actors cause they think actors are, are, um, you know, <laughs> just like deep narcissistic
1: divas. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Which, <laughs> they're not wrong, not um, wrong. And sometimes but um, but are necessary let me yeah, be clear yeah. or or they're they're bitter because they're, they've been doing the same thing for the same projects over and over for years uh, but then you have these higher budget stuff where you have you know you've you've got a a, a line director or a line producer and then you've got Uh, uh, just one guy to run each light and then you've got another guy who is standing behind the guy who's standing behind the camera and then you've got a dp and you've got an ad and you've got one person for every single decision that needs to be made and there's hundreds of them right but all of those people know that all of those other people are necessary for all of those other things so they all respect and never overstep onto those people's position. And I think at first, when I heard about that, when I heard about, you know, like, Oh, if, if, if someone asks a a grip to go get a singer, then nobody else goes to get that singer. That grip is the only one to go get that singer. Like I, if I'm standing next to the singer and I am a, I am an actor, I do not touch that. That is not my job. And it's it's not it's it's the opposite of corporate. In corporate, it's like oh I'm I'm looking for th- ways to help somebody out. I'm looking for thing to like ways to make things go faster. Whatever. It is the opposite of that. It is a if I grab that, then I am diminishing that person's role because that person has a specific role, right? Is 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 there for a specific reason? And if I overstep my bounds and what I'm supposed to do then I'm diminishing his role. I'm invading into his space. And yeah. it is a sacred thing.
1: I mean, even more than that, honestly, it's uh, about union regulations, about what you can and cannot do on set. Well, that too. Yeah. yeah, That I too. Mean, like, that...
0: you know, and, and, but because of that, everybody knows that everybody else is necessary
1: hmm.
0: and everybody trusts that everybody else is necessary and everybody's professional and knows what to do and is there to, to do that. And, and in the, in the, the lower budget stuff, it's like, and granted, Granted, you know, usually the lower budget stuff is non union, right? And so people are less like aggressive about, like, that's my, you know, I'm doing that, you know, whatever. And they're okay with being helped out, whatever. Right. But, but they're also a little bit more bitter. So I, I totally <laughs> see what you're saying there.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, because it's usually the same people, right? The, the people working mm-hmm. on some of these lower budget ones that aren't union are still largely, used to working on union projects and, Mm uh, the, the chain of command, so to speak of I'm going to do my job. No one else is going to do it for sure. Uh, but it's also a safety thing, right? Because you have an actor trying to grab, you know, an extension cord, um, and accidentally electrocute themselves. Uh, they're going to be held responsible for that. Like, why are you letting someone else do your work? Uh, and Mm -hmm. suddenly, and so there's like, Piles and piles of reasons that you know stack on top of each other about the way things operate and why they operate that way, yeah. And follow it, or else you will get yelled at, guaranteed. Yes, and it's <laughs> the, but it's it's like, like <laughs> tell me another,
0: tell me another, <laughs> another type of work that's like, I mean, yeah, maybe you know, maybe in like construction, you know, I but even then, have, yeah. I don't know, yeah. I, I, I really don't know, it's like so detailed it, yeah. and it's great it's yeah. it's it's awesome but yeah to your point i think that the the higher budget stuff like everybody is so nice and they just you know they'll talk to you about anything about uh, whatever you know it well i it's I, awesome.
1: I will say i don't know if i'd call everybody nice uh, i don't want to go too far um but interesting fascinating people absolutely but oh, right. uh i i worked as a stand-in on a a, a horror film friday the 13th um back in 2008 and uh everyone on set was virtually an asshole to me for the first like two weeks uh just a new guy you paying your dues i didn't know that at the time i thought man it sucks (laughs) like i am so unhappy uh i'm happy to be on set but really unhappy with the way i'm treated and then eventually like you just become one of the crew and you know it Some point, you know, in the first month, they started playing gags on me, whatever, um, because I was working a full time job while working on that full time job. And so I was effectively doing two full time jobs simultaneously where I'd work my morning hours and then at night I would go directly to set and then I'd go from set, you know, I'd take a nap for one or two hours and go right back to work. And so by the end of the week, you know, luckily both were just Monday through Friday. But by the end of the week, my roommate would call me a zombie. He was just like, man, you're dead. So while I'm on set, you know, they didn't use me a ton on Friday the 13th. And so I would try to nap where I could. And it, and anytime I I would take a nap, they would just do weird little things to me. You it was, it, it was pretty funny. Like nothing like you know too mean spirited, but they'd build yeah. like these little pyramids around me of rocks, and like just <laughs> just jacking with me. It was That's fun. Great. I had a great time. Um, but yeah, that that initial welcoming was very brutal. Like just oh, okay, stripped of all humanity. It's uh, in a sense. I mean, I slightly exaggerate, but you do feel like and. Expendable, yes. Oh, treated like a complete moron. Like, oh, oh. those are shoes. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> oh, mm. it's it's pretty rough, but uh, it is what it is. I mean, these are people who are excellent at what they do, and will suffer no fools. Yeah. like it. Yeah. And I, I'm nothing if not a fool. <laughs> <laughs> so you fit right in. I fit Perfect. perfectly. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, nice. Speaking of incredible locations, what are we doing today, man?
0: Uh, Today we are doing The Mummy, the one uh, with Brendan Fraser. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, please pause this episode. Go watch it. I believe it is streaming. What is it streaming on?
1: Uh, Hulu? Uh, uh, on my Plex at home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it, it is streaming somewhere. It's streaming. Okay, So, yeah, pause (laughs) the episode, go watch it, because we're going to spoil a bunch of stuff.
1: A lot of stuff. Uh, We'll look at, you know, a bunch of stuff. Uh, Some of the physical comedy, the way that, you know, they're always adding flourishes to scenes or moments uh, and committing to the bit. Uh, We'll look at some of the story and writing and keeping it PG-13, right? Death in the shadows, the way they use shadows to to execute characters, some of the expositional tactics that they use, as well as how they can... Continually progress the action throughout the film. Uh, we'll also have a couple of mummy fun facts. This will be the last of the fun fact uh, series <laughs> um, and other such stuff and things and stuff. And these fun facts are really crazy. So stick. Oh, around. I can't wait. Yeah. All
0: right. <laughs> Quick synopsis of the film: At an archaeological dig in the ancient city of Amunoptra, an American serving in the French Foreign Legion accidentally awakens a mummy who begins to wreak havoc as he searches for the reincarnation of his long lost love. Directed by Stephen Summers, Screenplay by Stephen Summers, Cinematography by Adrian Biddle. Featuring Brendan Fraser as Rick O'Connell. Rachel Wise as Evelyn. John Hannah as Jonathan. Arnold Oslo as Imotep, Os- <laughs> Voslu, Voslu as Imotep. Vaslu. Vaslu as Emotep, Kevin J. O'Connor as Benny. Oded Fair as Ardeth Bay, the Magi. And Patricia Velasquez as Ankh.
1: Anuksu naman uh, Namun. Yeah. They say it a thousand times and we still don't know how to say it. The reason I was laughing at your Vazlu comment is in The Mummy Returns, there is, uh, I remember me and my roommate, we were just laughing about this. Uh, there's this behind the scenes kind of blooper reel where the narrator is botching his name in the exact same way. Vazlu, Vos, Vazlu, Vazlu. Uh, and it's a shot of him the actor like getting ready for a scene and he's kind of doing this weird little dance and then he looks up into the camera doing this little funny dance and it just came out of nowhere uh <laughs> in the bloopers and so he and i were just dying over that that's so awesome it's it, it just reminding me <laughs> Arnold yeah, Vosloo. Vosloo. all right <laughs> all right clip
2: unlike my brother sir i know when to say no
1: uh-huh, and then like your brother, miss, you, I just don't get.
2: Ah, I know. You're wondering, what is a place like me doing in a girl like this?
1: Yeah, something like that.
2: Oh, Egypt is in my blood. You see, my my father was a very, very famous explorer, and he loved Egypt so much, He married my mother, who was an Egyptian, and quite an adventurer herself.
1: Hmm. Mm. I get your father, and I get your mother, and uh, I get him, but what are you doing here?
2: Oh. Look, I I may not be an explorer, or, or an adventurer, or a treasure seeker, or a gunfighter, Mr. O'Connell. But I am proud of what I am.
1: And what is that?
2: I am a librarian. I am going to kiss you, Mr. O'Connell.
1: Call me Rick. Oh Oh. Rick. Hmm. Todd, this movie requires that you appreciate the tone and what it is. You're it's so in that way it's either charming or eye rollingly painful to watch, uh, and so I have no idea where you fall on this uh axis. Um, are you charmed or annoyed <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: that's a good question. Am I charmed or annoyed uh I was very annoyed um mm. very annoyed, but I love the movie. The movie's fun. Brendan Fraser is great in it uh I mean, they stole directly from. From Indiana Jones right. it's like straight from I mean he is playing Indiana Jones he is playing that so the casting is great I, I really think it was great Brendan Fraser is fantastic in, in this and she's fantastic too uh, I guess but it's just that these these lines are like so cheesy and so just because it, it was one thing for it to have you know these lines and stuff to happen within in Indiana Jones like you know it's much older and it hadn't been done before. Right. And so anytime you do something that hadn't necessarily been done before, you know, you can get away with a lot, but this has already been done before. And it, and you know, the whole love interest of the, the, the adventurer kind of thing where she just falls for him because he's adventurous and she's this hapless woman kind of thing. I don't know. I didn't like that, that Mm -hmm. aspect of it, but, um, and then, you know, when the, you know things like when they're racing to the to the city, and the, and they're on camels, but the other uh, people are on horses. But the camels get there before the no, that's not. I don't believe that at all for a second. And she wins. That's, she beats him.
1: That's what lost you in a movie about that, a resurrected well, That was mummy. one of the things. That was one of the things.
0: Right. But I. But I. I. I like I like the historical setup. They spend a whole you know good five minutes almost setting up you know what happened in through you know in history to create and emotep an and and i think that that was really important i think it really gave a sense of the 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 awfulness of what happened then right of of you know he loves her so much that he's going he's going to come back right mm-hmm. and he suffered terribly when he died and and all of his people suffered terribly when he di- when they died but it didn't matter because he was coming back, right? It gave him a backstory, uh as as I guess the bad guy, I guess. But they spent a good several minutes at the beginning giving you that backstory. And I think that that was great. But some a lot of the lines were just like so cheesy. Who was the guy who was the guy who is the um his his like really, the really annoying guy? The brother, uh,
1: Jonathan or Vinny, the the little traitor Vin, guy?
0: Vinny, the little tricky Vinny, trigger. Yeah.
1: Hold on, B. listen to this clip, because I, yes. I I love Benny. You just got promoted.
2: Steady! You're with
1: me on this one, right? Oh, your strength gives me strength i love that i love everything about benny cracks me up i think he's a wonderful actor uh and it's just the lines are okay his delivery is excellent right your strength gives me strength it's like you know he's full of it when he says that
0: it's a perfect it's a perfect example of the lines on the page are nothing it's how they're said yeah right yeah (laughs) (laughs) because imagine reading that Right,
2: right.
0: Imagine reading that on a page, right? Like, how am I supposed to say that? Right. And it's like, good. Well, he does a great job of it. I think he was necessary. I like that he wasn't ominous. He mm-hmm. was like the the bad guy, but he wasn't ominous. He was kind of like a hapless dude who just, yeah. you know. saves his own
1: skin it, relentlessly.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. Like, you know, if he's involved, he's going to do whatever's best for himself and no one else, right? Uh, I thought I thought that the actual mummy felt really amazing, to be honest, like, you know, the way that he would kill people when he just basically sucked the life out of them. The best shot in the whole film for me was was when he comes into the window and you just see the shadow of the guy raising up and just being sucked, the life being sucked out of him and him getting really skinny. I thought that that shot was incredible. That was like a man. It goes back to. We talk about this a lot about not showing things and how a lot of times that's more impactful because your mind creates it. Right. And that's a brilliant way to show something like really gory without having the gore. Yeah. I mean, I think you do eventually see the body or whatever, but you don't see it actually happen in that moment. And I thought that that was so brilliantly done.
1: Yeah. They kind of drop it into out of frame. Right. And then he becomes this mummified corpse, which is, you know, very relevant and and topical and so yeah i love how they just constantly kind of use that idea of we'll kill people through a shadow on the wall right or uh, silhouettes uh lots of people d- seem to die off screen or at least semi off screen where we just see their shadow dying like in the opening itself we see the king is slayed you know uh in silhouette same thing with uh anaksu namon uh where she kills herself. Right. That. And then at the end, you know, she does it again. She's killed by the mummy soldiers. Um, and, and silhouette again, same thing. Like you're talking about with the people being drained and it's really, really smart, not just to keep it, you know, PG 13, uh, but it gives a very strong visual style to the film while still staying in the appropriate genre. Right. This is a kind of a family comedy. Uh, you want a wide audience to enjoy it as wide as possible. Right. Um, 13 and up, and keep it bloodless uh, without losing some style to it. And uh, yeah. really, really smart for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I think for me, look, look, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I think there were, it, it's not the best, if I'm being honest. You know, things like when, at the beginning, when he leaves, where or like he survives, right? Miraculously, because he's, you know, whatever, he's, whatever. He survives and then it like runs off into the desert and you have these guys standing there that are supposed to be protecting Emotep or, or his, his sarcophagus or whatever. And they're like, do we kill him? And the guy says, no, let the, let the desert take him. Mm -hmm. I mean, why not just kill him? Really? If you're really, if you've been protecting this place for 3000 years and there's a guy who knows where it is now, he can't, he cannot leave. Like, that's the point. Like he, he should not be able to, to, to leave. And so, I mean, I I don't know if your whole point of living is to is to protect this thing and you should protect it at all costs. Right. Especially if it's been three thousand years that, you know, everybody's. Anyway, so that was a little like, oh, man, you know, can we can he just maybe get away and they don't see him or something? A little bit more of an explanation there. Things like that. And there were other things throughout the film, too, that I'll try to think of of, uh, as we're talking. I'll probably come up with a couple, but things like that were just kind of like. Uh, that's that's a little dated to me. Yeah. I think. I think if this movie were made now, I would hope that that something like that would be a little stronger, like a reason for that.
1: That's funny. Yeah, I I, I kind of feel inverted. Like I think this movie's aged incredibly well because when it came out, I felt exactly the way you do. It's like, oh, it was it was fun, but it very heavily is, you know, borrowing Indiana Jones elements. He feels like a better version of Indy in the sense of his competence. Right, he never really fails. It's the people around who who seem to fail, mm-hmm. and he pays the penalty for that, which still creates a lot of humor uh but this seems to be you know a pretty even mix of comedy um and adventure with elements of horror, and so they never go heavy, heavy into horror instead really relying on uh kind of romance and comedy and adventure you know to to make it compelling and so watching this you know when it came out felt very like i just wanted something serious and like uh, bloody and and you know horrific and this movie had other things on the mind uh it wanted to be fun and lighthearted and i i love that now uh walking in knowing what it is i appreciate it so much more for for the silliness because it it's a film that knows that it's silly and it's it doesn't shy away from it it leans into it And it contrasts really well because that opening um, really sets for a serious tone with Emotep and the entire film. Emotep is never silly. Like I love how seriously he takes himself and the film takes him. Like he is never a joke. And I think that's a really great contrast for the humor of all the bumbling dolts trying to kill him. It's really strong contrast that helps kind of heighten uh, the comedy that much more. Uh, and yeah, I think walking into it, you know, expecting a, some silliness. In after a few of these little ambient spooky moments, I even love how O'Connell makes a comment at the campfire. That seems to ha- happen a lot around here. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, that's just it. He he doesn't laugh. He just makes a comment. He's pointing a thing out. And so they do a really good job of writing the line of not turning the film itself into a joke while still having kind of this light humor. It's a very thin line. I think they they walk it really nicely. And it kind of, for me, starts uh, certainly in that opening with the with the invasion that, you know, Hamnus, <laughs> we're going to butcher all these Hamanoptera. Things. Hamanoptera, thank you. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't butcher that one. Well done. Uh, yeah. But that whole invasion sequence is, you know, has some uh, humor elements to it. But it, it's really when uh, we meet Evie, Uh, In the library where they really put their stamp and saying, hey, this is what this is going to be because it's her kind of destroying the library. Right. It's really big physical comedy and it's exceptionally well executed. Right. Especially for a silly punchline. Uh, And it is. It's a very cartoony punchline of her on the ladder suspended in air. It's gold like her. Physically on that thing looks amazing. They give you this beautiful wide shot, and it's so ridiculous. And her face, and you can feel the tension in her body. And she kills it. She sells it. Uh, I laugh at that shot every time. I think it's just a really well executed punchline. Uh, and then of course it goes into uh, her knocking down all the shelves, which is very silly. And it's just this domino, which is a great shot. Like oh my god, uh, because it's a 360 shot of the camera going from one all around this big circle until the final one hits. And then she rises up into frame Uh, just incredibly well done. And it's a massive gag. Just imagine resetting that for another take. Oh yeah. Like you are committing to the joke at that point, but it does set up the, the, the tone of the film really well, right? This is a stylized horror adventure comedy and you need to expect comedy from here on out. Um, or else you're going to be really frustrated uh, that the that the characters are never really you know crying over fear of uh, because you know in a horror it would be very scary to be approached by you know this undead monster uh, instead you know they're yelling back at it and shooting it and running away like there's a really good juxtaposition of uh, comedy and, and stylized horror uh, adventure and just. You know, going back for a second on that reset, like I was I was out having drinks last night with some other people in the film community and I was talking to someone who works in the art department and we were just all fascinated. I don't really hang out with a lot of people from the art department, usually like other cinematographers, directors and actors. Uh, And so just picking someone's brain that works in art uh, is fun. And, you know, we were all kind of like, well, what are some interesting, fun sets or annoying sets? And she was talking about shooting in like, I forget if it was a, a cornfield or a wheat field, but either way, she was like, you know, you have actors walking through the scene and trampling uh, all these corn stalks. And oh my gosh. you got to reset that. And to reset it, like you got to replant them into the ground. Uh, and then you're analyzing them like, oh, this one's too b- broken. You need a new one you got to run around looking for a, a one that you're not going to need later. And so she was like resetting. That was a massive headache, uh, but at the same time, kind of fun. And so doing something like the, that, library scene really is like committing for a day of jacking around with these massive, massive bookshelves. And I, I got to respect the hell out of that kind of commitment, but the comedy itself, right? Lots of style, lots of over the top comedy, without betraying the story right the comedy always reflects character it never betrays who they are for the sake of a joke and so jonathan is always this bumbling guy or just terrified right he's he's virtually always useless even when he's helping he's kind of useless while he's helping right at the end he's reading uh, trying to read the passage and he's just kind of amused by oh yeah i kind of get that one and meanwhile you cut to rick is you know fighting for his life and uh, evie is trying not to get murdered by uh, Anak Sunaman. Uh, And so it's just kind of funny seeing that juxtaposition. Uh, O'Connell, right? He's always fighting, right? His jokes always come in the form of physicality. um, And he's either betrayed by the morons around him or he's betrayed by his own arrogance, right? He thinks he can do anything, take anything on. uh, And everyone's trying to tell him, that thing is not going to be killed by your bullets um, until finally it's killed by uh, a sword, thanks to he's saved by Evie, right? And her intelligence. And um, even though she's constantly needing saving herself because she's not an adventurer, she's not a gunfighter, um, as she says, right? She's a librarian. She's very smart, but just not very, you know, physically up to par uh, with Rick. And so all those elements, right? Benny is always a coward. Everything he's going to do is going to be in self-interest. And that's where his humor comes in. It's always... I my jokes my humor is going to come out of me saving my neck and and so every character's humor is staged very much in character uh, and I respect the writing on that front because it's an incredibly well written film that knows what it's trying to be and executes it perfectly well and to that end they're always creating these flourishes like every scene every moment they're looking for ways to heighten it just a little bit um, in some way or another right nothing comes simple or easy throughout the entire film always adds some kind of flair somehow and so for instance at the beginning she can't just buy o'connell out of jail right she has to save him from hanging to death which by the way nearly killed brendan Fraser. Um, I mm-hmm. wasn't aware of this until I was scrubbing through, I was trying to look at for the location list of the film and just my, my, eye got caught by one of the trivia things. And it was like, by the way, Brendan Frazier almost died while shooting that scene of being hung, uh, because the wide shot wasn't him, right? That's a stunt man, uh, which is a great shot. That wide shot of him dropping through the gallows. Oh, that's really well done. Uh, no but the, the insert, the, the close up of him choking and nearly passing out uh apparently they got one shot and the director was like that was good can we you know just increase the tension a little bit and there's some back and forth on what actually happened because there's brendan's perspective and then there's steven summer's you know perspective uh and maybe it's a bit of a mix but brendan was like and they wanted it a little tighter uh and so they went tighter i got up on my tippy toes and uh they went tighter again And I ran out of slack in my toes. I can't, I'm not a ballerina. And from that point on, like I I was trying to sell it, but then I passed out. And next thing I awoke, you know, with a, I think he said maybe an EMT was uh, resuscitating him. Uh, And so there's some back and forth between what happened and why it happened. Uh, That's his perspective, uh, which is fair. Um, Then there's Steven saying, and I'll link the, the, the blow by blow, but Steven was like, Uh, well, no, he was trying to sell it and he got himself in trouble through trying to sell it. And Brendan's like, uh, I guess if we're going to be super, super, super fair, like I took three big breaths to try to create some, you know, purple in my face. And so I was trying to sell me choking. Uh, and whenever you have a noose that, you know, with just a little, it doesn't take much, just a little tight around your neck will cut off that carotid. Um, and so I maybe put myself a little bit more on the edge. Yeah. uh, Respect the hell out of Brendan Fraser, but also, yeah, it got to be got to be careful. Um, Sometimes it's just not worth it.
0: I mean, he he got he got seriously hurt on other mummy movies, too. That's one of the reasons why he stopped acting or like didn't act very much after this. He was just hurt. He's been hurt for years. And then and then, you know, other things I think happened or whatever. and, And Hollywood just like lost interest in him until recently. You know, thankfully, like I want, wow. I want him to come back. I've always loved. It's Encino as an actor.
1: Man, right? Like I've never yeah.
0: not loved Brendan Fraser. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, yeah. I mean, we should do that movie at some point yeah. because, because, but be yeah, because so. Brendan Fraser.
1: <laughs> because right? Brendan Fraser. Um, yeah. but they, they, they could have made it simple, right? But instead of just, oh, she bought him out of jail. Let's make it more visually exciting and put him in this bad position. Same thing with like the burning boat. There's a little, I I found this kind of interesting that whenever he rolls out his bag of weapons, right? He's on the table. uh, He's semi-flirting back and forth with Evie. She is like, if you call that a kiss. And then he rolls out his his little, I don't know what you call that, bag of uh, weaponry. And when it rolls out, there's this rule of three that plays out because it's got this bam, bam, bam quality. When to me, it doesn't sound like it should have that second bam. It should just be bam fold. And instead, it's like, if you listen to that moment, it has this triple element that makes it feel more whole rule of threes are usually present. They're, they're present in a lot of places in audio. They just used it in audio. Uh, and I, I love that the Magi is reaching for the key uh, in this room burning down. And Jonathan kind of stumbles in and accidentally bumps them and sets them on fire. Like for a joke, for a gag, that's a long way to go. Uh, but they're really committed in this film to being lighthearted and humorous, and it's those kind of things that could have really seriously, you know, injure someone. And so in that way, I really have to respect action comedies almost more than normal action films, uh, because you have to do it and sell it as. Comedy while you're doing it. And it's just so incredibly dangerous. O'Connell in that same kind of sequence, right, is having a shootout and he's reloading his gun and um we see the wall kind of bullet popping out, bullet, 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 and he, he is watching this happen while he's just nonchalantly kind of reloading his six shooter. And she grabs him right and yanks him over and a bullet pops through like You don't have to do those things, right? But it just adds that certain little element that makes it comedy, that makes it fun. And fun is in the little details. And same thing with that scene where they're racing the uh, Hamonaptra. Because why walk to it when you can race? Right. It has absolutely no bearing on the story. It's just fun. It's just something to, to make getting from A to B that much more fun. Right. Writing is saying they got there. Uh, style is how they get there. And so this is all about style. This film has just gobs and gobs of style. Same thing with we get there, we're in Haminophtra, and they have Rick tying the rope around the pillar, right? And it's whipping right next to the warden. He's like, ah! Ah, right. It's just, it's silly. It's visual. It's, we can just do everyone doing their thing, but why not have something more fun happening? I guarantee that's not in the script. That's your actors and director all working together to say, how can we just make this five second clip a little bit more interesting and fun? Let's add some flourish to it. And there it is. It's, and it's silly. Like it's this massive, long whip uh, of a rope just kind of being flicked and this character like trying not to get hit. Uh, and it's reflective once again of Rick is doing something. He's being active, kind of punishing the characters around him. And then you have this warden who's a bit of a jokester um, and doesn't take himself very seriously. And he, it, it feels in keeping with his silly kind of character arguing in Evie's room, right? They awaken the, the mummy and then they escape. And now we're back in Cairo. Thinking about leaving, and now we're having this argument break out between Evie and Rick. And O'Connell is packing her bag while she unpacks it. Right, it's physical humor that underscores the discussion. They're constantly in motion, right? Packing, unpacking, circling the bag while they're arguing. Right, it's far superior to just sitting and arguing because this is a physical comedy as much as it is an adventure. You want them to always stay in motion, uh, never stop when you can be moving. And it's just a great use of little flourishes, little tiny things to heighten the scene, add to it, reinforce your genre and have fun. It's just about having fun um, and and keeping it fun. And so to that end, uh, you know, the story and writing elements, a lot of the exposition comes through Evie. Right. And having Rachel Weiss as a bookish librarian is a really great avenue to have her spouting off exposition, right? It's very fitting with her character to want to constantly share her knowledge, right? And it's relevant to their situation for once. For once, she has an audience uh, that has to listen to her and all her vast wealth of knowledge. And it's so good because she's an incredible actor. And it really makes nearly all the exposition feel completely natural and, and, and exciting. Except I would say the one exception is her intro in that library scene. She knocks everything down and you have the, uh, I've, the the doctor, right? The Egyptologist, I guess. And he walks out and he's just like, why do I keep you around? And th- this is pretty sloppy fast. They, they, they keep it quick, but it's very like, because, you know, I know 72 languages and I'm qualified and I'm the only person who blah, blah, blah. No, your parents are rich. That's why. And it's sloppy. I, it's the only sloppy exhibition, in my opinion, in the film. But it gets the point very quickly uh, and we can move along like they escape that very, very fast It's just so that they can lay the groundwork and move on. And so I appreciate they didn't belabor it. They made it quick and punchy and then just ejected as quickly as possible, uh, which is what you want to do with bad exposition. Um, but sometimes eh, it's just necessary to help the audience along. They progress the action throughout the film very, very well, right? We start with guns and swords, um, a little bit of magic, I guess, in the very, very opening, but then we immediately come to grounded realism, right? Guns, swords, explosions, Um, and then we move into scarab beetles eating people. The first when the the beetle crawls into the boot of the warden, the guy who you know had the power over uh, uh, O'Connell. His physical performance there yeah. is amazing. They're Agreed. Oh my God. Right. He's embodying something crawling inside you and the horror of it eating you alive from within that you can do nothing about. And so you can see if you just kind of study that for the physical performance understanding, there's obviously not a beetle eating inside of him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just some of the it's amazing. best acting, man. My God. Yeah. And then Action progresses, right, to possessed mobs and uh, resurrected mummy soldiers. Uh, Well, before that, we have the curses, right, insect plagues, fire, brimstone, sandstorms, resurrected mummy soldiers, collapsing pyramid, uh, so to speak. And just really well done of we're going to constantly amp up the stakes more and more and more and more. Um, We're going to start small and build big and that allows you to do a lot of things. One, have action in the first place, uh, but also to elevate things and keep the stakes moving up higher and higher and, and more fun. And so great job there. Um, horror elements are, are pretty minimal, right? It's all around the mummy itself. He's picking off characters one by one. And when he does it, it's very serious. It's very, the tone is very, you know, hardcore, especially the the first guy, right? With the eyes. They go just very classic. We're going to stick to bare bones horror right now. And just kind of a jump scare element. Kill it. I think they do a good job. Lots of sneaking up behind people, right? Draining them, etc. Cinematography wise, I only have a couple thoughts on this. There is this lovely dissolve as they're walking through the desert early on on Camelback. And there's a shot of them uh, moving from right to left. It's a, uh, like a slope of a screen. Uh, the top third is sloping from, you know, this dune sloping down to towards the right, opening up. And the camels are walking and they're on, you know, the camels walking up and to the left. And it's just beautifully framed because it dissolves to a shot of the sun on the left underneath the dune. And so mm-hmm. if you watch this dissolve, it's like they're walking on the sun, right? It's so hot outside and it's just kind of reinforcing Um, how the brutality of the desert. Um, and I just, it's simple, it's quick, but it's just really, really well executed. And the other little cinematography thing, uh, was just first shot, last shot. I mean, it's simple, but we opening on a massive shot of the sun and they have a ton of beautiful shots of the sun throughout the film. And it's the sun rising over the pyramid, right? We pull back to reveal ancient Egypt. Uh, but then the last shot is them riding off into the desert sunset. Uh, so it tells a story of a beginning and an end, right? The sun rising versus the sun setting. Uh, and it's very simple bookend kind of stuff, but, uh, really well executed. I, I love this movie now where I didn't love it when it first came out. Now that I know what it is, I can walk in and say, okay, they're, they're going to be silly. There's going to be spinning mummy heads or whatever. And that lets me enjoy seeing Brendan Frazier and Rachel Weisz on screen together because them together on screen dynamite, like Mm -hmm. you could make any movie again with them on screen together. Yeah. And it's just going to sing because they both have so they just ooze charisma and, and connection, right. They connect so easily and so well. And this, this movie itself is a smoke show. I mean, you know, if whether you're you like guys or girls, like you're there's something for you in this film, yeah. right? Uh, ladies get Brendan Fraser and Wazlu and Odette Fair. Um, that dude is a smoke show, uh, and guys mm-hmm. also get Odette Fair, I guess. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> and Rachel Weisz and Patricia Velasquez as an Oh Sunaman. my gosh. that's one of the most iconic costume jobs in hollywood history mm-hmm. her in that paint obviously um, she is just you know incredibly sexy but the paint work on that the detail work on that is unbelievable yeah it i don't know what i would put up against it as far as like um body paint or a, a, an incredible makeup job like i know before that maybe you would say james bond but th- that made james bond look like you know elementary level work uh it's just unbelievable i don't know if that falls into the costume and wardrobe department or like the art department uh or if it's like they put on their captain planet you know rings and combined powers or what but like that it really is just iconic uh and just absolutely incredible for sure Mm -hmm. yeah so that's kind of where I land, man. I, I love this movie for what it is now instead of what I felt it was trying to be when it came out. Hmm. And it's all about whether you can be charmed by it or not. And I yeah. get it. I I get kind of the, the frustrations. And it sounds like you still had some fun. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's hard to not see the Indiana Jones in it because uh, the era, the the character itself, and the the, the romance. Yeah. But...
0: Yeah, it, yeah. I... Yeah, I liked. I I would give it a solid six, maybe six okay. and a half. Uh, maybe m- maybe if I watch it again, I'd probably give it like a seven. But mm-hmm. the there were there were just some things where I felt like, man, you 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 do so many things that are great. Like one of my favorites was the what you brought up earlier the the bullets going through the wall, and then she just nonchalantly <laughs> grabs and moves him out of the way as one passes where he was. And you know, I think that that's that's probably the best description of this movie right <laughs> it's serious like so you will die yeah. you know people are trying to kill you and yet boop, just move you out of the way <laughs> you know um and then he acts like it didn't even happen and he just starts shooting again right right after that yeah. so so yeah i love that that moment but there are just there are things that like bug me where i'm thinking you did you do these things right you, and and you you do that really well but then you'll do something like the the curator the curator burns the map. Why? Well, you know, like I know. I hold on. Okay. Let me finish because because we need a reason why they need Brendan Fr- O'Connell, right?
1: Nope. Why? Because it, within the story itself, that guy was trying to prevent people from going to hominopter in the first place. We discover that you know uh, halfway through the film, he's with the Magi. Oh, that's right. That's right. There is story That's logic why. at play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: Okay. I like the movie more now. <laughs> I missed that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, good then.
1: Good. So not everything good. was just, you know, uh, convenient storytelling. Cause to your point, mm-hmm. like, yeah, at the opening, they let them go, let the desert take them. That's a very convenient way for your hero to escape. And they could have tackled that differently, but it also sets up an expectation of the desert as an enemy, and so mm-hmm. there's multiple ways to approach that, and they took the friendly way uh, instead. No, of, no, I
0: I, yeah. I get it. I forgive them for it for yeah. sure. I think that, that that was just an example of something yeah. that was annoying to me. <laughs> but I but no, I I thought it was great. I, the 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 set design was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I, I mean, if you, if and if you question that, if if it's if it's unnoticeable, just. Just look at the very end when uh, what's his name, the Vinnie? hapless dude who saves himself all the time, Vinny, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When when the the ceiling is coming down and he's trapped, but then he has to like continue to crawl so he doesn't get crushed to the steps, right? And then he falls onto the steps, and you see this mat. They pull out to this big wide, and you see this massive wall that has come down and blocked the exit. And he's in this gigantic room, which we've already seen the room. We saw it when they lit it up with the with the 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 mirrors. But they show one one mirror getting crushed. Right. So after that huge wide shot, we see the mirror get crushed. And then obviously all the light is gone. Right. And he has his his torch. But that that one shot. If you notice, if you don't notice the sets at all, the whole movie, you, it forces you to notice it. Then you just have this because it was one thing to be in a big open room is another thing to now have that room, you know, shut off from everything else by this gigantic thing. It it was unbelievable. I was
1: like, Oh my God, that's crazy. I completely agree. One of my biggest frustrations with a lot of these kinds of films is I feel the set design. I never feel. I feel like they're in an actual pyramid tomb. Like, I, I yeah, great point. I had mm-hmm. to look up. I was like, there's obviously they built a set, but I just really need it confirmed. And they did, right? <laughs> yeah, they did. But, of course. But it's just amazing. Like that's really incredible work. I've seen movies with bigger budgets do terrible jobs where I'm like, guys, I don't even believe your rocks are rocks. Like that's really mm-hmm. bad set design, you know. And yet here they are like selling me, not just on the period, but that there's this tomb filled with traps and uh, that shifts. Like every time I see him trying to Benny, trying to crawl back into the main room, I always think, oh, man, he's about to get crushed. He's not going to yeah, make it. Same, same.
0: <laughs> and that's and it's like a, But it's a throwaway feeling that they yeah. do because I don't know. You, they stay with him so long that you kind of feel like, okay, he's going to get out. You know, it's not like a quick thing, right? Okay. He's, he's going to get out. I can see the end. I, I think he's going to get out. And then he does. But the whole time you're thinking, how is he going to make it that far? You know, in this little bit of time that he has, so you're, you're just, you are questioning that. So yeah, it's, it's it's crazy. You feel it for sure. And that might be another. So, you know, when we cut to the wide of the the big wall having come down, right. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing is just a flat, like a flat wall. Uh But we know how thick that wall is because we spent all that time underneath it as Benny was crawling to get out from underneath it to not be crushed. So now, now I'm I'm not seeing a wall. I'm seeing a huge block of stone that's 30 feet deep now. And I have a sense of depth of that. And then also, you know, they have the amazing sound of it. Yeah, uh, that heavy sound of it coming down so you can kind of feel it but it did add that sense of depth to that wall to mm-hmm. be under there with him so yeah it was good point really amazing amazingly done so yeah i think uh, this is one of those episodes where i think you're convincing me a little bit more of like <laughs> of like why this is good it makes me want to go watch it again with the with the with some new eyes.
1: Yeah, I might go... I haven't seen The Mummy Returns in a while, so I might check that out. And oh, just, yeah, let's do that. Uh, yeah, see yeah, see how it feels. That'll be see fun. See how it... Yeah. Was it the same director? Yes. Uh, same team. Like, okay. he worked with them again. Uh, they kind of found their, their, their common ground. He worked with them on this and another film after this. Uh, I forget which one, but... And so they... I don't think they're on bad terms. It was just one of those, like, stuff happens yeah. and uh, you try to move on. But... Also, Brendan did say he was like, look, I don't care what y'all think, but I'm done for the day. (laughs) Like, I'm going home (laughs) when that happened. Yeah, when that happened. Okay, (laughs) good for you, bro. Good for you. At least calling it a day. Heck yeah, man. So a couple mummy fun facts. Let's do it. All right. For several hundred years, people ate mummies for medicinal purposes. So mummies were stolen from like Egyptian tombs and skulls were taken from Irish burial sites. People, grave diggers used to rob and sell body parts and they used to crush them up and use them as, you know, ointments and uh, salves. uh, uh, And I'm sure they ate it and drank it and did whatever they thought. It's weird, like eating mummies. But they also used to like, maybe like 100 years ago, used to have these unwrapping parties where you would come to someone's house, they'd unwrap a mummy and, I, I guess, eat it. Like, they'd all kind of snack on mummy. Like, <sighs> that's how you know you have too much money. <laughs> <laughs> that is gross. That's pretty Oh, weird. my God. And mummies were ground up for paint called Mummy brown. Uh, which started in the 16th and 17th centuries and continued to be used as recently as the early 1900s. I think around like 1910, 1920, uh, when that kind of faded out. But uh, yeah, I used to give you a very specific type of Brown Todd. Don't question the method. That's (laughs) join the madness. (laughs) That's pretty weird. I mean, it's a human body. body. Like
0: when I die, do not use me for paint. (laughs) I will not. Don't worry. I don't want you that close. <laughs> no, I, mean, I want you to friends at all. Me, but...
1: Just don't use me for pain. Like,
0: okay, okay, cool. It's, yeah, it's I have the a pain to... thing that puts it over the Correct. edge. Okay, got it. I
1: Crazy. will become you and you will absorb my powers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so weird. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's all I got. I'm um, I enjoyed this. I wonder fun, I wonder
0: silly. if if and I'm I'm sure that it probably happened. I wonder if it's true you know uh, that some people got mummified alive or or you know like some kind of punishment buried alive as as in in sarcophagus you know with bugs and stuff like it happened in there i i don't i imagine something like that happened but to, i mean to your point they um about it being serious when it needed to be serious that whole opening is really freaking serious like there is no comedy Anytime it has anything to do with Emotep, it is all business. And, and so I think, I think that might be one of the reasons why it's really good is because it starts all serious, but then we get at right after that, you know, we get some comedic relief a little bit before people start dying. Right. Yeah, right. You know, before the, the battle, right. With the, uh, what's his name running off and everything. But, uh, but that whole interest scene was so brutal of, you know, saying that they were mummified alive, you know, And, and then he gets buried alive with those bugs. And it's just
1: rough. rough. (laughs) And I remember looking up after one of our Indiana Jones episodes, um, I was trying to verify this thing I'd heard or read. I couldn't source it about, you know, certain types of traps or things that work in, in, in pyramids. Uh, And I couldn't source my comments. So I deleted it out of the episode. People won't know what I'm referring to, but I did come across one thing that I think it's, when they opened uh, King Tut's tomb, like a few of the people present died and that kind of gave rise to this idea of, you know, cursed uh, tombs or whatever. And apparently what happened, right, was you opened up that air and there was just a lot of toxins from de- decomposing and just sitting there for, you know, centuries, millennia. And yeah, that, that got the, those spores or whatever, uh, those toxins got into a few of those people's uh, bodies and, uh, wreaked havoc. And I think they died. I'll, I'll look it up and and put it in the show notes, but, uh, that definitely popularized, you know, this idea of, uh, cursed, uh, uh, tombs and whatnot.
0: I do know that there, I mean, there are, you know, like booby traps and stuff that, that do exist or they have existed in, you know, tombs. Um, I think that there's even one place, maybe we've talked about, I don't know if we talked about it or not, but I, I did hear that there's, there's one place in either one of the pyramids or in some pyramid or some, some sarcophagus where it's a room that has no air in it that
1: like, do you know what I'm talking about? Right. That's, that's the comment that I couldn't source from that Indiana Jones episode. I wasn't, I couldn't figure out where I heard it uh, or where I read it. And so, and I couldn't find anything online that could verify it. And so I just kind of removed it. But the thing that I, I had heard was that, you know, through some kind of use of gravity, there was like an, kind of a lack of oxygen pit maybe uh like a carbon monoxide poisoning um mm-hmm. pit that you know you could get stuck in and and it would kill you i don't know maybe this is just complete fiction i read it in a book uh, and it just sounded cool uh, and so it stuck with me but yeah i couldn't source it but i can imagine those kinds of things being used right and and being a really clever way to I don't know, uh, try to keep people out of, uh, your body. <laughs>
0: like, yeah. I uh, mean, you know, there are, there are, there are lakes in the ocean, you mm-hmm. know, like super saline lakes that it's called super saline, uh, that at the, at the bottom of the ocean where there's an ocean within the ocean that you can't even get a submersible through because it's so, it's so saline. Wow. Um, yeah, like there's a, there's a really famous moment where this guy actually finds it and it was the early two thousands. And, you know, they're going along the the, the seafloor and all of a sudden they see this ring of bl- like black and he goes over the ring and he realizes, oh, this is a lake of something else. And then he tries to submerge into the lake and he can't. He, they literally bounce off of that lake or <laughs> off of that water or whatever. Yeah. Come to find out it's like just super sal- salinated water that is just so heavy and dense that they can't go in it and so maybe it's something like that where there's some kind of hmm. it's not to say there's no air there right but there's like a heavier element that that collapse collect collects uh-huh. in this room and if you go there you, you breathe it in it's like maybe something like that yeah. i could imagine something like that existing Same, for sure
1: that you know fascinating i mean I, I, I we do know that you know uh ancient egypt was incredibly smart and advanced um, exactly we found all kinds of crazy you know things that it uh, took us ages to to figure out and discover, and so yeah, it's and, aliens, Wes. And it's if all nothing; aliens. it's all all aliens. And if nothing else, I I think they're credited with uh, discovering or creating beer, uh, is what I want to say. Oh. Who knows? Uh, Good people. When in doubt, give Egypt credit. I, that's my life motto. Um,
0: I, I like it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> nice. nice.
1: Yeah. Uh, what are you gonna recommend this week?
0: Um. Okay. Well, I was gonna recommend this last week, and then I I, I didn't. So I'm I'm gonna stick to it this week uh i think it it actually you know whatever going off the gore aspect or the the horror aspect of this and since you brought up eating people i'm gonna i'm gonna recommend dahmer uh Ooh. on netflix which if you don't watch the entirety of the series just watch the first episode yeah. that's what i would say yeah you know like it, it there's netflix is doing some right things in in how they're you know, in the last several months or year or so, how, you know, the, the crews that they're getting on this, the, the, the production companies that they're working with on some things, it's, they're really stepping up their game, I think in a lot of ways. And I'm noticing it, uh, especially with a show like this. So yeah, uh, I'll just recommend episode one of Dahmer because, you know, you know, the outcome, um, if you've done any research at all, so you can uh, uh, just, but if you watch the first episode, it'll give you a good idea of what to expect.
1: Nice. I'm going to stick in the action comedy genre and recommend uh, a little film that came out ages ago called The Rundown. Uh, it stars The Rock, Christopher Walken, um, Sean William Scott, uh, who you may or may not remember, but it's just delightful. It's one of those movies. It's, it's exactly like this. It doesn't take itself too seriously. has a lot of fun. Uh, Christopher Walken has some great lines, and he's just a a really fun villain directed by Peter Berg. And if you just want something lighthearted that's easy to get into, uh, has a lot of fun payoffs, then I highly recommend checking out The Rundown. So stay tuned for next week. We're going to take a look at Everything Everywhere All at Once and i'm excited to to peel back the curtain on that one and hopefully i feel like everyone has watched that at this point and so hopefully we can add to the conversation i don't know it'll be fun to 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 take a look if uh you're enjoying the show don't forget drop us a review subscribe uh leave us a note and and if you want to recommend something or ask us uh to to review something let us know um and if you want to leave a comment on this episode or see the show notes you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash the mummy.
0: And today's quote of the day is from Lucille Ball. I'm not funny, but I am as brave. That is that is so good. And, you know, it's very timely, I think, for me, too. I, I think everybody probably at some point, well, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people at some point in their lives, they just decide, you know what? I'm not going to be embarrassed anymore.
1: Wow. That's
0: it. Just that. Just that you don't need to be, you can call it brave if you want, but I feel like that's even, that's even heavier than what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just don't be embarrassed, right? About liking Spice Girls or about, you know, playing dress, you know, dress up with your daughter or, you know, or about like, like, I don't know, farting in public, <laughs> whatever. I'm serious. And when I say embarrassed, I mean about anything, right? Cause then, and the fear of embarrassment, hmm. the fear is what like can hold you back of failing. Let's make it even bigger, a little bit bigger. Fear of failing at anything. Well, if I'm not embarrassed to fail, then I'm going to try, right? Because it doesn't, I'm not. It doesn't matter, right? So this, this is this quote is very timely for me because I oh. think within the last few weeks I've made a shift in my in my mind. It's taken me 42 years. <laughs> Um, and I don't, I don't know, you know, maybe it'll stick, maybe it won't, but of just, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do and not, and not be embarrassed by it because I think we're all brave in some way, yeah. you know, like you're brave because you make some, you make art, right. You know, you make, you write scripts and you go film it and you you edit it and you release it and you get clients and you do work for them. And you're like, here's, here's what I think this should be. And they either like it or don't. And then you make changes. You're brave every day, right? you wake up and you get out of bed. That's, that's brave. You know, I know what Lucille is talking about is, is more, it's like, you know, being completely free, but free of what? Free of embarrassment, free of looking a fool, right? Be the fool, right? It, that's, it's, it's actually wanted. I think, I think the world wants fools. I think we look, this movie is a good example. Like one of the things that makes this movie good are the fools. Yeah. Without the fools, it's just heavy, And then all the things around it that happen then, you know, are kind of like pointless and aloof, but because there are fools involved, you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. He could have died, but she moved him out of the way. Okay, cool. Right. Or, or you're with me, right? Yeah. I'm with you. And then he runs away. Fools (laughs) And fools make it. So anyway, it's a great quote, man. That's awesome.
1: Well said. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I mean, she's like the queen of physical comedy, right? I, yeah. I don't know if you get better than Lucille Ball. <laughs> if, you, if you do, please let me know. But she she's amazing, right? And I, that attitude really just punched me in the face because I was like, oh, I just want to hear what, you know, she has to say about comedy. And, and for her to just say, it's not about being funny, it's about being brave. Uh, because it's, to your point, it's about not being embarrassed or being willing to have a joke not land. Like that's terrifying to, to drop a punchline to zero laughter. <laughs> but if you want the laugh, you got to take the risk, you know, you got to, you got to risk, you know, being embarrassed or trying again and, or just moving on. That's the hard part is when a joke doesn't work to just move on to say, that's okay. Uh, I'll get him on the next one. Um, and, and just keep going, man. I respect comedians so much. It's, it's somewhat easy to be dramatic, to make someone cry, uh, you know, and to tell a heartbreaking story. It's really hard to try to make someone laugh, um, and, and to put yourself out there to say that this is my kind of humor. Um, I hope you laugh too, Mm -hmm. because tragedy is all the same, you know, there's not my kind of tragedy. It's all tragedy. Uh, but humor has so many, you know, wrinkles to it that what makes you laugh may not make me laugh. Uh, and this movie really rides the line of my kind of humor because on average, there's a dozen other films that are trying to be this film, and I hate them. (laughs) I I just Mm -hmm. hate them. Uh, But Mm -hmm. this film, it's not embarrassed, and it does a great job of just being willing to to commit to the bit. Like, we're going to throw people off cars, and it's not necessarily funny, but it's in keeping with a sense of, a reckless physical comedy. Like no one got hurt by being thrown off a, a horse, right? He pulls him off his horse as a gag. <laughs> like that's a joke. Like goodbye, Benny. And he just throws him over the boat or off or yanks him off his horse. Like that's just for a, a silly gag that you're not going to laugh at. They know you're not going to laugh at it, but it's a part of a, a mentality of the the style of the humor. And committing to it, it takes a lot of bravery to say we're going to tell a lot of jokes that aren't really funny. But we're going to commit to this humor and hope that you just, you know, go along for the ride. Because if you don't, man, that's going to be a really rough theater to sit in. Yeah. (laughs) As a director sitting in a comedy where nobody's laughing. You know, yeah, that's where you build in like a pilot ejection sheet that just shoots you out of the theater.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting because because, you know, if you make a drama, you don't know if people like it or not until afterwards when they tell you. Yeah. But if you make a comedy and nobody's (laughs) laughing, you know, it's not landing (laughs) right away. Right. But I I think it's also, you know, like a I respect the hell out of comedians, too, man. I, I think that that is such an underrated a thing we just expect to laugh you see somebody with standing up there on a stage with a microphone you expect to laugh and in a way you have it's a little built-in because if somebody is watching comedy they want to laugh right you're not going to watch comedy if you don't want to laugh but at the same time it's still demanding you still have to deliver i think it's mostly scary for people who think that if i don't make them laugh i am not funny Mm -hmm. or they will think that i am not funny forever but that's not the case i mean you know you look at you look at like babe ruth or something yeah he had most home runs but he struck out more than anybody else too he either hit a home run or he struck out that was it he didn't ever hit a a base hit like babe ruth couldn't run for shit but and then he's known as like one of the greats right i imagine i mean come on uh dave chappelle 100 percent has bombed in his life right that didn't but he didn't let that in his mind say oh i'm worried because now these these 200 people think that i'm not funny forever no, they didn't think I was funny tonight, tomorrow night. They might the same crowd. They might laugh their ass off. You know, you it's just like you got,
1: super comfortable with rejection.
0: Like, yeah, uh, yes, yes. Oh, <laughs> almost almost crave it in a way, because yeah. then that that tells you what didn't work mm. or what, you know, like gives you clues on what to change or or whatever. You just got it's you got to love the process, I guess.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: That's the thing. If you love the process, then it almost doesn't matter what the outcome is because you're just loving writing, writing comedy, standing up there talking. Cause I think that's what they Chappelle's bits now are just him talking. Like he doesn't even tell jokes necessarily <laughs> yeah. anymore. He just like talks. Uh, and, and he has, he can do that or whatever, I yeah. guess. But I, back to the point of this quote, it's a great quote that I, I hope I can, I can live by, um, because it's very freeing too. And I think shooting with you helped me a lot because I had to stand on a street corner with a guitar and play and not, and I had to play like I, I wasn't nervous. I had to play because that's not where I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable on a stage with people behind me playing together. Everyone
1: showed up. They signed up for you singing right there. That's
0: where my comfort level is. So when you sent me the script, I thought at first I was like, oh, this is a great script. This is fun. This will be fun. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I got to stand up, you know. Uh, but then I quickly put that out of my mind wow. and said, just got to You just have to do it. Like you have to do that or else it will fail. If you do, if you look like you're scared or like you're nervous, then you're, you're done. you got to be brave. You've got to be fearless. And I'm not saying that the performance will be, you know, Oscar worthy, but hopefully it came across that I was not nervous at all and I, I was not
1: that's so funny like yeah I, I realized that before getting to set but once we were on set I it, it never occurred to me anymore because you were so comfortable and you were so like jamming like you, you were invested in your character and I was like it it never came it occurred to me that you would need that note once oh, we dude, arrived on set that's You that's know? amazing <laughs> to hear because it was hard for me to get there <laughs> It really
0: was. I had to get there before I even got to Austin. Wow, I I had to know getting on the plane to go there that I'm doing it because you were going to pick me up, bro. You yeah. you picked me up and we went straight right. there. Yeah. So I had to I had to in my mind say I don't care. I I do not care if anybody thinks that I'm good. I do not care if anybody stops. If if I get a crowd, I don't care. I'm just going to do whatever it is I'm doing in that moment and be there. And I'm so glad that at least if the <laughs> acting could be shit, you know, but at least if it came across as he's not nervous.
1: Yeah.
0: That's what I, that's what great. If, work. As long as that happened, then <laughs> yeah. I'm, that was my goal. great. Work. So yes, Damn. good, great quote, man. I could talk about this stuff all day. Cause yeah. just because of where I'm at in my life and how I think, I really think that, that the shoot changed my my outlook, which is weird. It's weird because, you know, you know, I watch, I, you know, I, um, this is going to go long. I, I'll be quick. I, you know, I watch uh, the same amount of like inspirational shit. I think that most people do like, like, oh, you know, like I love hearing sayings from people or quotes or whatever that, that might make me think a little differently, you know? Oh, I know that I need to be brave when I do this. But seeing that quote from Lucille Ball is like, oh, that wait, that's Equating bravery with funniness, with com- comedy like that. Oh, I've never thought of that. I love, I do ingest the same amount, I think, as everybody else, but but uh, hoping and thinking that maybe I'll, I'll think differently, but unless you actually put it into practice, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And so shooting with you, I had to put that into practice. I had to, to, to say those things that I just said, like, just do it. And since then, literally since then, I have n- not been scared of anything as in like, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. If I want a, uh, uh, Oh, and a perfect example. Let me just give you just a quick example. Yeah. I, I told you about this. I think last week, some crazy stuff has happened at my, at my work lately. The day that some crazy stuff happened, I had a massive meeting with a client, a massive one and where my boss and my boss's boss were on it. And I had to present something that I knew nothing about, <laughs> Right. And I get in to the meeting and for some reason I was fearless and I just took it and I, I ran with it and I did, I, I, it was the best meeting I've ever had ever. And because I wasn't, because I just said, you know what, I got to do it. I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it the best I can. And if I fail, I fail. And it was fantastic. And from, and I, I really think that it was from that shoot. And from then on, I'm just going to be like that. Uh, and I've gotten like some good stuff has happened since then. But point being is that if you, if you are yourself and you're fearless, fearless, and you're, you're, you're just not, not, not embarrassed to be yourself or to say the wrong thing or to ask the wrong question Mm -hmm. or, you know, or whatever, then you're going to get a response that from life, I think that is completely different than you could have ever imagined because you're not timid. You're not, not being yourself you're not not asking the question that you need to ask in order to do the thing that you need to do or to get the information that you need just if you don't know ask the question if you want to do something do it who gives a shit what so and so says why not just try it if you fail fine not a big deal and i know that that sounds like you've heard it a hundred times you have but if you do it it's different it's, it's different from hearing somebody say it It's different from listening and saying, you know what, he's right I really do, I really should You know, like not be uh, Embarrassed, yeah
1: It's amazing because we are Such social creatures And we, we have so many More fears than are uh, Actualized, you know you're, you're more afraid of what could happen Than what actually will and Is more likely to happen, you know And if you just yeah. push against That wall uh, it's it's not as scary on the other side That's it yeah. I, Okay We should end it there because <laughs> that's perfect right. That's the way to
0: end it Thank you guys so much for staying with us through that <laughs> <laughs> We should break that out Of like the no, episode I don't awesome. know we'll Leave it in it's fine yeah. uh, That's why we have these quotes of the day yeah. I love whatever you pick Like it, <laughs> it always sparks some kind of initial Or it, subsequent you know 20 minute conversation About life and love and all the things in between anyway thank you guys for staying with us we hope you enjoyed this thank you Wes for for clarifying a lot of stuff I think that you like brought out a lot from this film that I didn't get on the first viewing so thank you for that uh hope you enjoyed it make sure to subscribe review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts share us with your friends let us know if there's a film that you'd like to see, see us do we'd love to hear from you until next week I'm Todd I'm Wes go watch the movies